rise up, young man. Rise up, young lady. You are not alone. No matter what you're going through, it is going to pass. You're gonna come out the other side. Keep shining. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of You Are Not Alone podcast by Mamba Inspire Brand. Like the title suggests, the purpose of this podcast is to help people out there who are going through unimaginable struggles know that they are not alone and believe that they will come out on the other side. Beautiful afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is a beautiful day today. Thank you so much for giving us your time. We have a very special guest with, guest with us today, my boy Victor. Hello, everyone. I'm so honored to be on the on the podcast. Finally, I listen to it almost every week, and man, it it feels great to be on the other end. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you're busy. It's a Friday, also. Uh, we finally got you in here. It's been hard getting our schedules together, but you finally here so thank you so much for that yeah, i'm so excited to talk to you bro because uh you are a Teddy foundation scholar mm-hmm. and one thing i know about Teddy foundation scholar everybody has a story like that's you have, <laughs> like <laughs> Teddy scholars have a story right but let's go back uh where, where did you grow up where did you go what city were you born in yeah, of course. So I'm I'm originally from the Rio Grande Valley. Okay. Um, specifically Edinburgh, Texas. Okay. So um, I always describe it to people as it's a good clash, or it's it's a perfect mixture of both Mexican and American uh, culture pretty much coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've loved where I grew up. I think it's a really great place, and I I think it's really has shaped the way I am. I think lots of uh, qualities about the Rio Grande Valley or things that you'll see very often mm-hmm. have definitely made their way into myself and my own personality. And the way I carry myself, so very proud to say I'm from Edinburgh, Texas. Yes, sir. It shape who you are. You have that blood, that Edinburgh blood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, your where are your parents from? Right. So, my parents are originally from uh, Leon, Guanajuato. Okay. Which is about central central Mexico. Um, if you're looking at Mexico City, I want to say you're to the left of it. I might be very well wrong, but I know it's central Mexico, and mm-hmm. I've I've been there a couple times to go okay. uh, visit family. That's good. When did they move here? You know, remember? Yeah, no, of course I do. Um, so my parents moved over. My dad first came over. My dad came to the U.S. back in nineteen mid nineteen eighties during okay. amnesty. Wow, that's during a long time ago. Long, long time ago. And actually, he came over. I uh, was lucky enough to start working in the U.S. And mm-hmm. then uh, when he and my mom got married in the nineties, they went ahead and brought. Um, it, at first it was just. My mom, my dad, and my oldest sister. Mm-hmm. Then they all came over and they started life in the Rio Grande Valley. Wow. Yeah, I saw your picture on uh, Facebook. Which you have three sisters, right? Yes, three sisters and one little brother. One little brother. How old is the little brother? My little brother now is uh, about to be. No, he just turned ten. I want to say. He's the last one. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> last one. I'm hoping, hoping it's the last one. But are, are you the what? What rank do you come in? I come in right in the middle. Middle. Wow, you're almost the same, bro. I have uh, we are five also. I uh-huh. have three sisters, and I'm the second child. My little brother is the last one. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Super, that's pretty pretty accurate. That's pretty spot on. Yeah. So, what was growing up like in Edinburgh? Like, how? Let's let's start back. Let's start just in the house first of mm-hmm. all. How hard was it to go with all those siblings? Right. I mean, I think I really enjoyed growing up with so many siblings. Especially, mm-hmm. I grew. I guess a bit different than. A slightly different experience. They, um, they didn't bully you? No, not at all. <laughs> I think they really embraced me as that little brother, especially mm-hmm. my two oldest sisters. Yeah. 
um, I very like very uh, vividly remember instead of doing like the usual things boys will do when they're kids, like going outside playing catch. I very much remember playing uh, school with my sister. She would act as a teacher, hand mm. me fake tests, <laughs> and really like it's it's the best uh, it's the best arrangements I could ask for as a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were as kind as they could be, and it, I really enjoyed my childhood. I will say that. Nice. So as far as school, uh, what kind of school did you go? What, what, what was the percentage? I'm assuming since Rio Grande Valley was uh, majority Latino. Yeah, predominantly Hispanic community. Um, I actually went to, I want to say the oldest school within my city. Mm-hmm. I, I think even my, my grandma, when she would come over to the U.S. briefly before she would return back to Mexico, my grandma, just give a little context, uh, my grandma would come back and forth across the border um, just she lived in a ranch in Mexico, but mm-hmm. sometimes if time permit, if um, there was enough resources, she'd come over for a brief period of time, mm-hmm. and she got to enroll there for I think a year as an elementary student. So it was a it was a really small little elementary school. I think it's still standing. That's the one my little brother currently goes to. Um, but yeah, I love that little school. <laughs> Definitely, I know it's one of the most amazing things just the ability to be able to live with your family as a whole your dad your mom your siblings you never need anything right there's everything you need right there right as long as you have each other and i'm sure your parents work hard to give you guys everything you need but do you know how hard it was for them to just make sure that you guys had everything you need uh growing up and what were some challenges your family faced as a whole yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess like lots of um, immigrants coming into the U.S. for the first time, my parents for the first years that they were married with my just my oldest sister, mm-hmm. life was difficult for them. They I I hear stories now that when they first moved to the U.S., they lived in a tiny little like almost hut style apartment, mm-hmm. and they were really just trying to make ends meet. Um, they were just trying to live day by day. But they do always tell me that they're very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly came my other sister, and they lived in public housing within Edinburgh. And then right at the time when I was born, that's actually when it was, a, it was a, I always describe it this way. It was a landmark year, the year I was born for my family mm-hmm. and for my parents, because my dad, I mean, they, they accomplished their version of the American dream. And what I mean by that is that my parents, when they came to the U.S., all they wanted was to have the ability to call, to have something to call their own. Mm-hmm. So all they really wanted was to have a place that they could raise a family in and be able to to just live as much as a, a happy life as they could, mm-hmm. given that they had experienced, uh, well, my mom at least had experienced very, very, um, very real poverty back in, in Mexico. Um, she all she wanted was to be able to make sure her family was safe and they would have enough to eat. Yes, sir. So when I when I was born, we moved into the house that I I grew up in, the house that my parents still currently own, um, and it was during that time I always describe it to people is. It seemed almost like one of those one of those TV shows you see. It seemed like a very nuclear family. Mm. Everything was great. My dad worked as my dad's a carpenter. So when around 2000, that's when my dad and my uncle started their carpentry carpentry shop uh, in in my same city, Edinburgh, Texas. Yeah. Um, and they went ahead and started that that um, carpentry shop. And things, I mean, it was during a time when the economy was going okay. Um, they were able to get off the ground. But really where I think um, there's, I, I want to divide into two major things that I think I experienced that have really drastically changed who I am as a person mm-hmm. and my family as a whole. So one starts off when I was about five or four years old. Um, that's when my old, my youngest sister was born. Her name's Sarai. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when she was born, it drastically changed the entire dynamics of my life. My sister was born with autism. Wow. Which if you, uh, if any of the listeners know, um, having a, 
a special needs uh, sibling or a child in your life is something that not only affects that individual but the entire family. Yes, sir. And by that I mean uh, it it really made it really made it to where my parents um, had to put other attention towards her. Mm -hmm. My mom stayed at home. She was a stay at home wife. My dad was working all the time, trying to just make ends meet, trying to make sure that we had enough to eat, uh, trying to make sure that things were the the best they possibly could be, given the fact that uh, my mom, as it is, was really busy. I remember those first couple years. I was only five or six, but I, I very vividly remember. Um, every, it seemed like every day when I came home from school, my mom was never there because mm. she was always either at a doctor's appointment or trying to take my sister to therapy to try to help her uh, improve or, or gain any skills she possibly could, just very practical skills for her to be able to hopefully just be able to be self-sufficient. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was during that time, I remember right around the 2008 recession. Wow. So the 2008 recession, I kind of jumped a couple of years, but it, it was for a period of about two years that this went on. My mom was kind of not very, my, my, my dad was always working. My mom was always at appointments and putting all her attention in my sister. And um, us being the three oldest, we were at school. And then afternoons, like I said, it was very lonely. My my parents just couldn't, as much as they wanted to be there for us, they, they had other priorities and I completely understand that. Mm -hmm. um, but right around the 2008 recession, um, that's really where my family felt one of uh, a really large impact. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad being a carpenter and, and him, him, his brother having that carpentry shop, uh, work wasn't steady. It seemed like there was hardly ever work. And that me meant he had to go look for odd jobs that he could find anywhere else. And I remember, I remember very vividly this feeling, I always described it as a feeling of desperation. Because I realized at the same time that I felt neglected, my mm -hmm. sisters felt neglected, mm -hmm. and they were a little bit older than me. They were already in their teen years. Mm -hmm. And my sister, um, I didn't quite understand what it meant to have someone with autism in my life. So mm -hmm. it was still something I was still trying to cope with and understand. I knew that my mom was stressed. I knew that she was also, her health was declining as, an, as, a, as a byproduct of all the time she was uh, spending on not focusing on herself. And my dad was working himself um, nonstop. He wouldn't, he would leave home around 7 a.m., not come home till well past midnight, just working, 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 trying to make the best he could. Yes, sir. And it was during this time, I always tell people, I felt so helpless. I remember seeing everyone struggling and seeing that everyone, I remember seeing everyone, my entire family looking at them and saying, everyone's going through something on their own and I'm just here and I can't do a single thing about it. And that to me was something I, it, I, I, to be quite honest, I still carry to this day. It's, it's this constant almost pressure on your back that feels like at any moment you give in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go ahead and fall all on top of you. Wow. And it was this feeling that kind of drove me to want to focus on my academics. It made me want to work harder because I knew I can't control these other things in my life, but I can at least control how hard, how much effort I put into school. Wow. So it was during this time I got involved in extracurriculars, um, started taking advantage of everything. I was that kid that was that tried everything. I did spelling bee, I did sports. Um, I did things that I had no interest in. I just wanted an opportunity to- To be the best person possible. Ex exactly, I think at the moment I was, I was searching for something and I could never figure out what I was searching for. Mm -hmm. But it was at least also a way for me to escape from, from the problems I realized that were occurring. Wow, wow, so that is amazing. Cause in, in that situation, cause in that situation, it's like you, there's this, you have two options, right? It's either education is an expectation or a privilege, right? And in that situation, even though you don't have a lot of role models around you who, who have went, unless I'm making a mistake, did your siblings 
went through education? Did they get higher education? Um, my my parents didn't have higher education. All my siblings and myself were first generation. Yeah. And uh, like I said, during that time, all my sisters were, I want to say they were roughly 14, 13. So they were still getting into high school. Exactly. And you didn't have that role model as far as like what, how to work hard and who you want to be, who you're trying to be, right? Mm -hmm. But for some reason, you just had that motivation. You're like, the only thing I can do is to give my best and let this academic thing work out. Like, where did that motivation come from? Did you expect, like, did you make it an expectation that I have to find a way mm -hmm. to go get an education no matter what? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel sincere in saying that I, the, the best help I got, and I honestly attribute lots of the way I was able to stay motivated during that time. Mm -hmm. So my, um, she's not my oldest sister, but the one right below her, her name's mm -hmm. Vanessa. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're apart by four years, but she's the one I, I you just described earlier. She's the one I used to play teacher with. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, during that time, like especially early on in elementary, I had a difficult time. I, myself growing up in a bilingual home, Spanish was my first language. Yeah. So transitioning over to a school where English was spoken at every classroom, it took me a while to adjust. And as a result, I kind of learned how to read a bit later than most children. Mm -hmm. And it was during that time that my sister really provided, uh, as much as she was experiencing her own struggles, she still made sure that she was looking after her little brother, mm -hmm. making sure that he had anything he, any question that she could answer, she made sure she provided that response. Homeworks, all of that. Mm -hmm. Definitely during that time, um, she was very helpful with homework. But at the same time, I, I really always have always been a very curious child. Mm -hmm. So um, that was only, I only struggled really academically as far as I can remember, maybe just my kindergarten and my first year, my first uh, first grade, what they call it. Mm -hmm. um, and then from onward there, it was, I, I was never the kid that was afraid to ask questions. I would always ask why. I'd always spend the time and it seemed like, Bucks were a way of giving me answers that I couldn't find elsewhere. So I turned a lot to Bucks. Wow. I started, um, I would spend literally hours in the library, hours reading whenever I had a chance. At some point, teachers, um, no, they, they, they realized that perhaps making me focus on some of the assignments they were doing in class wasn't the best, uh, the most beneficial thing to me. So they gave me the freedom to start reading Bucks on my own while other students were working on things, which was, I think, has made all the difference in my life. They gave me a, a whole new world, access to this this whole new world that I know for a fact has really helped me once uh, gain that motivation to want to pursue, always strive to know more. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. And that's the goal to have teachers to just be able to identify that, to you understand that every student is not the same student. They don't come from the same background. Every student has different needs, right? And whoever the teacher is for her to just identify your needs and say, okay, this is what you need and just meeting that perfectly. That's amazing. De definitely. I think some of those teachers I have, um, even up until I graduated high school, I still made an effort to go back and say thank you. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I really had no other way to, I, I, I felt like I can never repay them for that. Like you're right. Like you said, I, I think teachers, specific teachers, if not all my teachers had such a strong impact on my life that I, I really, that's when it makes me think like teachers are so, so underpaid, so not valued in our society, especially in the U.S., mm -hmm. at least as far as I've seen. Uh, teachers deserve so much credit than sometimes they're given. Exactly. So fast forward back to high school mm -hmm. and you you were about to you going to college, up, doing all the applications and applying for scholarships. When exactly in high school did you realize that this college is a thing and I'll find a way to get there? Right. So there was never any doubt in my mind that I would go to college. And I, the question was, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. Yeah. Where that motivation came from? The <laughs> fact that there's no doubt. My, my parents, my mom and dad, both of them, 
while they were still obsessed with their what the things they were trying to make sure just to sustain my family, mm-hmm. they always instilled in all my siblings this uh, idea of self-efficacy, mm-hmm. that anything is possible as long as you put your mind and your heart into it. Mm. So because they instilled that to me, my mom would always emphasize, um, you have to go to college. That's a, way, that's a pathway to making sure you can, you can get anything you want. And my dad always told me this. He's like, I'm never going to tell you exactly what to do. I'm never going to be, I'm never going to tell you, Hey, I want you to be a doctor. I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to do something you're going to enjoy. The way he put it to me was, I want you to wake up every morning and be excited to go to work. Wow. And it was there that I realized that's why, that's when I said earlier, it was never any doubt in my, in my mind that I would go to college Mm -hmm. and money was at least in my mind at that time. I just thought I'll find a way to pay for it. I'll find a way to pay for it. But if you ask me then how I was going to pay for it, I had no, absolutely no response for you. Um, so I watched my sisters go to college. Luckily, mm-hmm. since they're a bit older than me, they went through that experience a little bit before. And at least in their case, um, I mean, they had to do what a lot of students do. They had to take out a tremendous amount of student loans mm-hmm. and just become very, very much well in depth. And it was after then that I started realizing there's opportunities out here like this. It, it didn't seem right to me at the moment. This can't be my only way to college. Is this really the only way I can I can get there? Do I have to sacrifice like pretty much my entire, do I, do I have to make that much of a sacrifice and commitment to be able to get there? Mm-hmm. And that's when I started looking and becoming more curious and looking outward and seeing what opportunities were available. And I started scavenging Google, um, pretty much anything I can, I can get my hands on to start reaching out there and seeing what's available. What can I apply for? Wow. Wow. So how did you, as far mm-hmm. as scholarships, how many did you apply? How, how did you get to Terry Foundation Scholarship? Right. So um, my senior year of high school, um, I, once again, I want to give credit where credit's due. I, have a, I had a friend, or I still have a very good friend of mine. His name is Brian Lopez. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually a student at MIT right now. MIT. Yeah. From, I mean, from the Rio Grande <laughs> Valley, somewhere yeah. where people are, it's often overlooked. Yeah. Amazing friend. And uh, I had other really good friends during my whole high school experience who uh, really sort of encouraged me, encouraging me to look uh, for these opportunities and the good thing we started doing with each other was we would start sharing opportunities. Yes, sir. So as soon as I would find out, let's say there was the Hispanic uh, National Foundation, he'd say like, hey, you should apply for this one. I just did it. I think you're a good candidate. And vice versa, I'd do the same to him. And within our friend group, we tried to spread opportunities. Wow. And we all had in mind, we, we all applied that year. All, all It was a group of about four of us. Mm-hmm. We all applied to Ivy Leagues. We thought, let's shoot for the stars. Let's see what just happens. Yes, sir. And it was during that process that I mean, with those college essays, the questions they ask you is, what do you want? That's pretty much the premise of it. What do you want to do? And I realized, at least for myself, is that I had spent so much time doing so many different things that I was never really focused on a single goal. Mm. But then I started realizing more and more, what is it that I enjoyed about these experiences? And it was the idea of talking to people. Mm. I really enjoyed making relationships, forming connections. And I think the, the the most intimate thing or the thing I enjoy the most is when someone gives me a glimpse into their lives. Mm. That moment when someone opens up to you and tells you more about themselves and you start seeing them differently, I think that's such a special thing. So then I started thinking, okay, in what field can I go into? And then the the, the day came when we got our, uh, our um, what's called our acceptance or denial letters mm-hmm. from the, the big Ivy, loose, Ivy schools we had applied to. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, just, just to sum it up, I, I got rejected from the ones I applied to. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, at the same time, I, I didn't feel I didn't feel completely disappointed because very shortly after I got that email from the Terry Foundation telling me I had moved on to the interview part of it. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, I thought I had never I had I had remembered applying to the Terry Foundation uh, 
scholarship, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah, exactly. They just ask you to check your books. Ex- exactly. It was something I maybe had overlooked and didn't even think fully what it was or seen how amazing it would be if I got it. And then since I, when I got that me- email, I immediately like went to Google. And for some reason that day, I was encouraged to just start looking more into it. Mm-hmm. And I went directly to the Terry Foundation website. And right there, they have this video of Howard Terry giving they, they give a lot his his life story. They tell they have interviews with him mm-hmm. talking about how he he knows for a fact that had it not been for that scholarship that he received to play football at UT Austin, his life would have been completely different. He would have taken a completely different route. Yes, sir. And I had this. I remember I remember crying when I watched this video. Not uh-huh. even receiving the scholarship yet, just being moving on to the next round. That to me. I'm also a very uh, very spiritual person. I have a strong faith in God. Mm-hmm. That to me was a direct sign from God, and I felt this is this is what it's pushing me to. This is what this is God's telling me something here. So sure enough, I I went through the interview, and I had once again amazing people to that helped me throughout the entire process. My history teacher, Miss Cardona, my financial aid officer, which is something our school was very fortunate to have. Miss Amaro, she helped me prep, and all my friends. And when I went into that interview, I remember saying, telling myself. I want to make sure I don't come across as something I'm not. I want to make sure when I walk away from this room with this interview, meeting these people, I want them to know who who I am. Mm-hmm. And that to me will be my, my biggest goal going into it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My mom always talk about that. The biggest giants always walk on top of shoulders of bigger giants, right? Very you didn't true. get here alone. You have to, like, there are so many people who are amazing people who helped us, me and just get us where we are, right? And stuff like that. That's amazing, bro. That's amazing. So you left Ed- Edinburgh, right? Mm-hmm. You left Edinburgh in high school where everybody was Latino. Right. Uh ma- ma- major Hispanic majority right. majority of the students were Hispanic. Then you came to UT where the percentage of uh, minorities is very small, right? right. <laughs> Did you feel any imposter syndrome, intimidation just coming in? I know you have the confidence. Like, right. you're usually your accomplishment, even though you went through so many stuff in high school and before, your accomplishment have gave you that self-confidence that if you put in your hard work, right, if you focus on have that vision, you're gonna be, you can be whoever you want, mm-hmm. right? But when you got here at UT, did you feel that imposter syndrome kicking in? Right, I think... <laughs> For sure, I did. I, I very, very uh, since I'm only a second year now, I very vividly remember how it was that first day stepping on campus. Mm-hmm. And like, like you mentioned, coming from a predominantly Hispanic community, it was like, wow, I had no idea the rest of the world didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. I walk into classrooms where I'm the only Hispanic student within a, a crowd of, of, I always say it like this, I was a brown dot in the middle of a white crowd. <laughs> And to me, that was something so interesting because for the first time in my life, I was introduced to people who thought differently, mm. who didn't think the way I did or saw life completely drastically uh, parallel to the way I thought things worked. Mm-hmm. And at least in the beginning, I did have a hard time. I did fall into the to the to the challenge of or not challenge, I'd say um, I fell into the trap of comparing myself to other people Exactly. and started saying, OK, like. I, I didn't like all these kids were coming in and they were amazing. Some of them had been interning at um, these uh, these offices with the mayor or had also had opportunities to uh, intern at these big companies. We and did, I came in. We just, did that. Yeah, exactly. They, they had these. That was another big thing, too. Seeing like, wow, 
these people are wealthy. I had never been around ridiculously wealthy people. And that to me was amazing. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this was real. I thought this was just like a, a movie thing. Yeah. Um, and at least at first, I, I, I kept comparing myself to people. And I found the more and more I did that, once again, I, I just felt like they didn't belong. And I didn't know how am I going to find my way within this big university. Yeah. And once again, that's where the help of other people made all the difference. Um, I was introduced to an amazing role model or mentor. His name's Ruben Gantu. He actually works here at UT Austin as mm -hmm. a director of diversity and inclusion. Okay. And he actually, um, I applied to this program called Product Prodigy Institute. What the whole idea behind it was to teach students product management skills mm -hmm. and entrepreneurship. Because at least in his and the way he thought, he thought this this was the door for children, for kids like us, kids who had never had these this exposure before, to have to know about the opportunities that were available to them, if they're willing to put in the work. Yeah. And it was that experience. I went. It was a year long program, and within it, I got to go to places I thought I would never go to. I got to go to San Francisco to go talk to some big executives within Silicon Valley. Uh, go down, even going downtown to here in Austin, going to talk to some of these big corporations like WordPress. Um, Microsoft, all these big companies that I, I always thought like, wow, I know I use their things almost every day, but I never thought I'd be in their office seeing and talking to some of the people who make these decisions. Wow. Man, I was... Hun when I saw you, I just saw the hustler in you, right? I saw that hustle and I was wondering who, who to go thanks. So, wow, that's the guy you met. One thing I was also thinking is the idea that sometimes you don't know that things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. I hear always people say everything happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. Imagine back when you got those letters from all these big Ivy League schools saying no. You didn't know that that happened for a reason, right? Because because of that, you were able to learn more about that Terry Foundation scholarship. You got able to get a full ride. And UT is almost as good as any school in the nation, mm -hmm. right? And God just was shaping that path for you to come around UT and just have the home you want to have, right? It's just amazing. It, it, Sometimes you, you, people say things happen for a reason, but you don't realize until you think about like, wow. I think that's that's totally true. I think, I think after I got that that acceptance to the Terry Foundation, yeah. that I had got the scholarship, my decision was made. And then when I got here, and within really the past past year and a half, I've come to realize is that I'm exactly where I needed to be. Yeah, I think. I, I don't know how things would have been had I gone somewhere else, had my my path, the God, uh, the path God had taken me on had been different. But I know right now I feel so empowered to want to do more and strive to do the things I thought I'd never I'd never be able to have an opportunity to, to go after. And that's made all the difference. And just even my 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 goals and dreams have changed drastically. I remember I came into college saying it was all I knew then, like I said before, is I wanted to work with people and I wanted to help people. Yeah. And it was a very broad uh, concept. Definitely. And then slowly I've come to realize there's there's different ways that you can help people. And I think right now what I've realized is the way I think I, I can work best is being on the ground, talking to people. Mm -hmm. Like I said, getting their story, understanding. Um, and the, the interesting thing is, though, because of the fact that now I, I feel like I have a better direction of where I want to go, Although I'm still very much unsure exactly what career field I'm, I'm going to go into, mm -hmm. I know for a fact I need to be around people and I need to be able to spend the time to to empathize with them and get to know them. Because I know that's where I, I do my best. Mm -hmm. I'm motivated. If I if I go a day without talking to someone, I feel so motivated. I start falling into the whole trap of just not being productive and, and getting things I need to get done. So I know for a fact these next at least, I still have two years at this university. And right now, 
I'm really trying to look to somewhere where I can have a strong impact and improve the conditions of other people. Because I, I realized, at least for myself, is that my life has been the way it has been because I've been very blessed. I've had amazing mentors, amazing people in my life who have constantly been encouraging me. And I've had, I'm very fortunate that I have a very strong family who's been there to provide the support uh, needed to move forward. And I, I realize that not everyone has that. Definitely. I, I think life could have been so different had I not had those blessings. And I, I want to be able to provide that for other people because I know that is when people say like, oh, it's just a matter of working hard. Mm. I, that's something that always a little bit irks me a bit because I say, you're not seeing the full picture. Like sometimes I, I've seen podcasts where people, very wealthy people will say, people aren't where they want to be because they're not willing to work hard. Mm. But you're just seeing it from one lens. You're not seeing the full picture. It doesn't take, uh, like they, that saying goes, it takes uh, a village to raise a, a child. Mm -hmm. that, I think that's very true. You need a whole group of people who are willing to be with you every step of the way. Exactly. And if I can be one person within that village, I think my job is there. I think that my job's been done and I'm, I'm trying my best to contribute back to society, a society that's given me so much. Wow. That is amazing. So one thing that I always think about is the idea that as you were talking about earlier, so many students here at UT, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever you're talking about uh, holiday plans, right? Christmas, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. People talking about, oh yeah, me and my parents, we're going to go to France. Oh, we're going to mm -hmm. go to this big, uh, we're going to go cruise, right? And, or whenever their birthday come around, they talk about, oh, my, I told my dad to get me a car. And you, in your mind, you say, oh, I'm supposed to buy my mom a computer <laughs> or I'm supposed to buy my mom this ticket because you, like, you're supposed uh -huh. to be responsible. So it's a whole different mindset. Right. You have these students that you hang out with all the time who are talking about how their parents are always taking care of, but you're thinking about how to take care of their parents. Mm -hmm. When did you realize that that was okay? It's okay to be different from mm -hmm. the other people and this, that's just how life is. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting you bring up the conversation because I just had this conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about how it I, I feel like very much the the next couple of years, as much as as it's it's strange to say, I'm not the only one responsible for the steps I make. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I, I do feel a strong sense to want to take care of my parents. Mm -hmm. I realize that in a way I'm their retirement plan. Yeah. And although they never they've never told me, they've never explicitly ever told me, Victor, you need to be the one to make sure that we're okay. I've taken that responsibility exactly. on my own. Exactly. And and the reason is because it's part of I, th I think a strong part of it's my culture. Yeah. So Hispanic culture puts a strong emphasis on making sure your family's okay. Yeah. Family comes uh, first. So in that way, I, I feel like I, I just wouldn't feel right moving forward without them. I have to take them everywhere I go. And there's moments when I catch myself doing amazing things or being in amazing places that I, I, I always ask myself, I wonder what my sister would be doing if she was here. I wonder what my dad would be thinking if he was here. And I started thinking about all these other people. Wow. And I realized, at least for myself, is that like lots of times people say like ultimately you're always striving for happiness mm -hmm. but my happiness isn't only mine it also includes everyone else that's the only way i really think i would be happy yes sir. So, so when i do hear these other people talking about um they they're these extravagant plans they have or these almost like they're they're constantly still being given things given 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 i realize i've been given things in my own way mm -hmm. and for that reason i feel indebted to those people and i feel a strong sense to want to want to find some way to show my appreciation. I think that's where it comes down to. It's a sense of appreciation. I never yeah. feel like it's a burden. I think it's just, I want to be able to give something to people who've given me so much. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's exactly how I feel. When I talk about the things that I'm, it's just, yes, it's responsibility. Yes, it takes sacrifice, but we love it. 
Exactly. That's where our blessing comes from. We just accept it. We enjoy the fact that we are in a place where we can be in that position to be responsible for something, right? Because mm-hmm. growing up, we didn't have all we have. So just being in this place, we know how far we came. So for us, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. I'm glad I can buy my mom's ticket, right? I'm glad I can do this and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, bro. That's amazing. So I know you are into entrepreneurship. Is that your major? Uh, no, actually, I'm a communication leadership major. Communication leadership, but you are a hustler, so I'm sure you 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 found a way to learn more about entrepreneurship. How did you get into that, and what are mm-hmm. what are some what are some entre- entrepreneurial work you are doing right now? Right. So, um, entrepreneurship always attracted me because the idea of being able to create something and have complete control over it and knowing the impact it can have on someone mm-hmm. that whole idea always appealed to me. So when I came into college, I was aware, I had heard the word entrepreneurship before, but it wasn't until I, I think, like I said, I was introduced to that uh, mentor of mine, Ruben Cantu, that he really showed me for the first time what it meant to be an entrepreneur and what's possible when you do embark on that journey. And at least for the past two years, um, I've, I've been actively doing entrepreneurship work. So there you have it, people. Thank you so much for tuning into the Mamba Inspire You Are Not Alone podcast. We have another great story next episode. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Twitter, and Instagram for updates. Look up Mamba Inspire.